Welcome to season three of Handpicked. It's so great to be back, but what great businesses we have discovered. It's a great way to show and feel and learn about what's going on in Australian business. So if you like what you hear, perhaps you could rate us or review us or refer it to another business owner. Well, welcome, Gabby, to Handpicked. It's wonderful to have you on the show, and I was really fascinated about fintech. So tell us a little bit about your business. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here and, of course, to meet you, Naomi. So I finished uni, didn't know what I wanted to do, um, and I just knew I wasn't going to go into a corporate role. So throughout uni, um, I went straight into tech startups. I was very excited about being able to wear a T-shirt to work. And I was in my previous role when COVID hit and we all got stuck at home. So I found myself with quite a lot more time on my hands than I was used to. And I wanted to use some of that time to get on top of my personal finances as one does. And I always, Mm -hmm. I always lean on my family. They give me really sound financial advice and they were telling me about fixed income for the first time. I didn't know what it was. And I did some research and found very high minimums in terms of your initial investment. So looking at between $20,000 and $200,000, there were long lockup periods. So you're saying goodbye to your funds for a really long time and high fees for someone else to manage your money. So it would have been a perfect opportunity for me had I had a little bit more to invest, um, but I couldn't afford it at the time. So I started doing research into Why do some of these barriers exist? Why are these opportunities only available to those that have much more to spend than I do? And I started thinking about some solutions around them. So this was happening at a similar time that I was participating in the Startmate Fellowship. And Uh it's effectively a program that introduces you to the full suite of opportunities within the Aussie um, startup ecosystem. And we heard from some amazing women some women who are probably in your caliber, Naomi. There was Melanie Perkins from Canva and Kate Morris from Adore Beauty. And they were just talking about how if you're passionate about an idea, like really dive in headfirst, give it your all. You never know what's going to happen. And so I very much lent into their message there and that culminated in Blossom. So what Blossom is, is it's a new app that targets a 3% return per annum. Because as we know, there aren't many opportunities for millennials to do more with their finances. So on the one hand, you can leave it in the bank making near zero interest rates. Or on the other hand, you can invest it in a very volatile stock market due to the global uncertainty caused by the pandemic. So that also requires great time and skill and expertise that a lot of millennials and people my age don't actually have. So what we wanted to do is open up opportunities that we see to be the middle ground, which is fixed income. So we're democratizing fixed income. We have created a super easy to use app. We've tied it around the Blossom Fund, which is a fixed income fund. Um, And we're trying to remove as many of those restrictions that I touched on previously. So there's no minimums, there's no sign up, no transfer and withdrawal fees. And we also have an ethical investing brand and we plant trees in bushfire affected regions when you fund your account for the first time. So when you say we, who is we? Great question. Um, We is myself. So I'm the only full-time co-founder. And then I have two part-time co-founders and a couple of kick-ass interns. And 
a lot of my questions today will be touching on how to build out the team and, and where we should put the priorities there. Well, let's get started then. So what is the first question you have for me? The first question is relating to growth. So we have huge targets in terms of funds under management and growing our customer base for year one and year two. Um, but as you would know probably better than anyone, that growth is incredibly expensive. So do you have any advice or or how do you think that we achieve this level of growth while also managing costs? Mm. So where did your initial customers come from? Initial customers. So we built a pre-launch wait list and we funneled people through from quite a lot of paid advertising across Facebook and Instagram. And we built that pre-launch wait list to about 4,000 customers. And then when we were ready to launch, we funneled as many of those from the wait list to sign up and just tried to convert as much as we could. That's great. So what do you know about those ones that converted? Have you got some data? Because when it comes to growth, especially in the early stage, you want more people who look like the ones who get and understand what your proposition is. And often they have friends, colleagues, people they know, and they will ultimately be your advocate if they love what you're doing and they see how easy it is. So growth can be very expensive, as you know, even building that wait list, I'm sure costs you a pretty penny in terms of the social media spend or however you are acquiring them. So when I think of growth, I think, how can, what do I understand and know about the people who absolutely love and adore me? What can I learn from them? What are their key attributes? And where do more of those people hang out? And if I can answer those questions, I can funnel my energy, my time to doing that. One of the hardest things about any online business or any app is also how do I build trust? And we need trust more than we've ever needed it before. Uh, you know, fintech, lots of people are talking about fintechs and so forth. But how do I know that you're special, you're, you know, trustworthy, that you're going to be here in a year's time? And particularly when people's very, very precious savings. And often that comes from other customers. So how do you build a personality or a brand presence around trust? And what does that look like? And could you put your customers in the center of that? Because customers often find customers. That's so interesting to hear you say that because especially as an early stage fintech, we have absolutely seen that the barriers to convincing someone that it's the right decision to part with their hard-earned savings, exactly as you mentioned, is that there's a lack of trust. So I think in the next three months, in the next six months, we have to put all our eggs in one basket and that basket is trust and just trying to do whatever we can in terms of social proof and building FOMO to try and understand that we're here to stay, we're an Aussie family business, um, we want to do the right thing by our customers and just try and, exactly as you mentioned, build that trust as best as we can. Yeah, and also understand why people buy from you. Because when you get that, you can then extrapolate that into other markets, other audiences and other people. But often we think we know why people are buying from us. And there's three primary reasons. It could be transactional. You were right at the right place at the right time with the right message. 
highly unlikely for a fintech product, especially when it comes to people's savings that is just transactional because they need to believe. And secondly, it's about social and you mentioned a social footprint and what you're doing for community. Like I feel I look better, I feel better about myself. And the other one is about an emotional connection and that I feel something for this brand because I believe in them and I trust them. And ultimately, we're always trying to take our customers on that sort of a journey of um, making sure that they uh, get us, they understand us, and that they would even talk about us, which is the most precious um, comm strategy that you can have. It's really, really important. So, yeah, find out and, and get them in a room, like, well, soon. But, you know, put people together and ask them, we want to learn from you, we want more like you, and build that connection. Because even though you're an app, you can really um, flip people up. Um, you can really flip up the whole conversation by asking to speak to them. I mean, I remember way back in the day, we would ask everybody if they enjoyed the experience, how was it for you? And they're filling in an online form. And sometimes they just pick up the phone. And people would then talk about that. They're like, oh, you won't believe it. This woman from that red balloon company gave us a call and she wanted to know and she wanted to understand. So just give them a call. You never know what will happen. And I do remember Melanie Perkins, uh, you know, they were very much about putting designers in front of their product and understanding and hearing and feeling what they had to say about the product, even though they had designers inside their business. So I think that's really great. That was going to be my um, my next question as well. How, how best do you think we're placed to try and generate some of that feedback, whether it's custom survey, picking up the phone, one-to-one customer interviews? But I think it sounds like you're saying a mixture between all of them is probably the most effective. Um, I often use this term called customer obsession. And it's about, it's more than empathy. It's about understanding where you sit in the importance in their life. And I would say that savings is a very, very important decision that people make. So therefore, if you're that important, people will be giving up their time and their energy. And I would, so often if we get people to just fill in an online survey, that's fantastic, but it's only those who are prepared to give you that time. And they're either going to love you or hate you, but they're often not in the middle. And yet the biggest opportunity is the people who just feel nothing because you want to move them to feeling something and believing and becoming an advocate for your brand. So you want to take them on that journey. And so very, very much I believe in anything and everything and just being in their shoes. One of the things that I did was just get out from behind my website and started going to networking events which honestly, I poke my eyes out with a stick really, but sometimes you just have to do do it, you know, because that's the right thing to do. And, and people needed to meet somebody from the behind the business because they were trusting me with their cash. They were buying a voucher for an activity that was in the future. And so I, I needed to literally feel them. But you also need to consider the the who isn't talking to you in that group and how do you harness them and how do you find out what they're feeling as well? Lots of food for thought for me there. So my next question is we need to build the team and we need to start hiring. So there are so many functions that need to be filled at the moment. It's customer service roles and sales and and technical development roles, building out the product team. So how do you decide who to hire first and then who should come next? Ah, uh, now this is the uh, wish I had a crystal ball and not saying I got this right all the time. 
way back in the day, in the very early days when I was at the startup phase of, you know, nobody in the office using an intern or two, realising I had to recruit people. And I literally, this is not how you do it, so I'm telling you what not to do. Um, I literally was like, does anybody have a friend who needs a job? And that was the interview process. So I'm not thinking that that is a particularly good idea. And then because she was so fabulous and amazing, I said, have you got a friend just like you? And she goes, yeah, I do. And I ended up with seven of these friends. And that was okay for a while because everyone was doing everything and there was so much energy and we were changing the world and it was going to be amazing. And, and they were all in the front room of my house. And But ultimately, it depends on the intention for the enterprise. And that, in my opinion, isn't going to work for you because you have to be very formal, very structured and provide this real rigor around what you're doing because that's going to build trust. And so the first way of finding and setting up a structure of what is it that you as co-founders, and even though the other two are part-time, but what are your innate strengths? And it's really worth understanding that because you want to pay to what you're really, really good at. And so I'm not good at detail. And I knew that. So I needed to recruit somebody who was incredible at detail. And about 15 months into my journey, I put a job ad and I couldn't decide between the two final candidates. And in the end, I recruited them both. And they were two completely different people, both for a product management uh, role. And in the end, that gave me the bandwidth I needed. So it was a financial burden at the time but we went from always being on the back foot to finally having some bandwidth and interestingly enough one is worked with us for three years ended up uh, doing her master's and becoming a supplier to um, Red Balloon which big red group and then um, Gemma Fastnage is now the COO and has worked with me for 18 years best best 40 bucks I ever spent on a job ad so uh, but that came from I'd done the work on myself to understand what my strengths were so I knew what I was looking for. Very interesting to hear and it sounds like you made some good decision making in terms of those first two hires. And do you- I made some really bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> but we all loved each other. It was all fine. All worked out how it was supposed to be. Well, it's, it's good to know. It seems to happen that way that it, that it does work out in the end. Like for me at the moment, I feel like there's a tension between hiring for what the business needs now and what we know the business is inevitably going to need in two years. So for example, I know in two years, we're going to need to bring some of the the tech. So the people actually building our app in-house, whether that's a tech lead or a senior engineer or a very hands-on CTO. So how do you know when you should be making the investment for the future or whether you just need to hire someone for what the business needs right now? So um, in the beginning, every business needs generalists uh, because you just don't have the funds or or the the revenue or the momentum and you need people to be able to one minute answer a customer call, the next minute be do Q&A, the next minute be writing some copy. And that was the thing. You know, the first seven people, we were all generalists. We all knew every single thing and, and there was no job descriptions. But you grow out of that 
and ultimately you grow into specialists. But most startups can't afford the luxury of having a pure play, let's say CTO, because you just actually don't have enough work for them at the calibre of the work they need to be doing, nor the resources to actually fill that out. So even if you think about marketing, they've got to have a marketing budget to be able to spend and place and, and so forth. So um, it, it can be really, really hard and not everybody comes with you on the full journey but my recommendation is especially in this early day you need people who are driven by the energy and the purpose of the business and will throw themselves into the job that needs to be done right then with a view of either developing and training that person to becoming a specialist or ultimately you know people are still alumni of our firm and they always say it was one of the best times that they ever had they loved working with us it was a great place to work but ultimately they needed to go somewhere else and it's okay you know it's no longer that, that definitely rings true I, I feel like I understand that that at the moment the business is early you need generalists and then when it's time you can afford it you can make the investment then that's when you move to specialists hire for values higher for who they are, higher for their passion. And ultimately, you can train for skills. And there's so much um, training available. And let's face it, so many of these um, applications and so forth, whether it's digital marketing or even development, it's it's changing so quickly. Um, my, my last question is more of a marketing question. Um, and I think you're going to be very well placed to answer this one. So we're a savings app with a huge focus on the environment. It's, it's part of our core mission. And in terms of the actual marketing messaging, so do we highlight that as our number one priority? E.g. save with purpose, we're here to do more than just grow your money. Or do we highlight that we can help our customers reach their financial goals faster? For example, buying the house you've always dreamt of, booking that dream holiday, which stream of messaging do you feel is more powerful? So you've asked me to speak on behalf of all of your customers. And I might not be in your customer set. And, and that is often the challenging thing. We're looking for the right answer when there is actually no right answer for that. So I know my daughter, she only does ethical investing whereas my sons are looking for a return. So it just depends. And I'm not saying they're not ethical and I'm not saying she's not looking for a return, but it's a balance. So when you're writing any copy, you, you have to be in their shoes and think what is, right now, the number one thing you have to do is create trust. So what is gonna create that trust? And it may well be, these are the reasons why you can trust us. And by the way, this is the community we've already supported and let that community say the impact that you had because you're building trust. It's not saying, what are we gonna do? It's what we have done. And so it doesn't matter what your proof statements are, it is all about building trust. So there's no right, wrong answer for that. There is no perfect answer because all of your customers will have different aspirations. I use my kids as an example because they're all millennials and they they would, uh, you know, they are in your target audience. It's interesting to hear that your daughter is more focused on the ESG element and then your sons are chasing the higher returns because it's definitely something we see within our target market and our customer personas at the moment. I wouldn't make it about gender, you know. No, no. I've got, you know, I've got one of each. It could have been the other way around. And, you know, so it's, um, it, yeah, for me it's not, a, it's not necessary about gender, but that's just how it's happened with those mm. two. 
Yeah. And it's, it's something that we see consistent in our customer base at the moment. Um, and I always fall into the trap of trying to cater to absolutely everyone. It's like, how do we find all our customers and make everyone happy, solve all their problems, meet all their needs? And I can see you're shaking your head at that already. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You can't please all the people all the time. It's just not possible. And it's not only that, you'll just do yourself in trying to please everyone. You've really got to know what you stand for. What is your beliefs? What is your purpose? What are my values? And not everybody will align into that. And that's absolutely okay. You're better off having 100% market share of a very small niche and being absolute advocates of them than trying to compete with the banks and being all things to all people because you, you doesn't matter how much you have you know anybody trying to start a new savings program um, that would be very very challenging so be really specific if you're if you look like this sound like this and you believe in this you'll be an ideal customer for us but be really prescriptive and, and understand it and you'll find yourself some freedom in that we had to make exactly the same choice red balloon were you gifting was it a, a, an experience for a gift or was it an activities company? And in the end, we said it was about gifting and we really owned that market and our purpose came from that shifting gifting in Australia forever. Because of course, people can self-gift and especially right now, people love self-gifting. So it's it's fantastic. So, But we had to get the language right because otherwise it was all over the show. So target the niche and then we're going to put ourselves in the best place to generate trust among our customers. Correct. Know what you stand for, speak to that language, find your tribe rather than niche, because I don't know how big it is. So find your tribe of those people who believe and let them be advocates for So you. much food for thought. Thank you, Naomi. <laughs> Gabby, it's been absolutely fabulous having you on Handpicked. And you've allowed ourselves to understand what your business does and to share it with others. And from your journey, people will get to know and maybe learn for themselves. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Gabby. Thanks for having me. Thank you.